Real baseball starts today, and there's plenty of news from the training camps. It's our Thursday news and commentary edition, and it's next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Thursday, March the 29th. It's show number nine of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Thursday news and commentary edition for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at bullpen situations in Arizona and San Francisco, the Giants' rotation troubles, and more. And from the American League, Jock Thompson looks at injuries to Greg Bird and Salvador Perez, pitcher surgeries, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon reports on Pittsburgh third baseman Colin Moran. In our frequent flyer comment, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Minnesota outfielder Ryan Lamar. And in our first pitcher matchup segment of the season, analyst Greg Fishwick looks at Carlos Carrasco taking on James Paxton, Steven Strasburg battling Luis Castillo, and some other weekend matchups. Later in the show, I'll have our weekly talk with Todd, asking Todd Zola about how to handle the DL questions caused by the early start to this season. We'll also ask him about his NFBC drafts and the fab reporting for Tout and Labor. And finally, in Master Notes, I'll be talking about the top 200 fantasy hitting seasons since 1947. It's another big Thursday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's opening day. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Thursday news and comments edition, our League Watch News reports, we have Jock Thompson on deck with the American League, and leading us off, it's the National League Report and Baseball HQ analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. It's opening day. It's opening day and lots of things going on. Oh, are there ever? Uh, starting in Arizona, manager Tori Lavallo has announced that the veteran reliever Brad Boxberger is going to open the season closing games for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Rob Carroll covered this story for Playing Time Today's news analysis at BaseballHQ.com. How much of a surprise is this announcement, given all the drum beats we heard in the spring training about uh, Archie Bradley? Well, you know, I think maybe not surprising. We All the drum beats we were hearing were for the, from the various uh, fantasy pundits out there, and and Really, um, Arizona liked Bradley in a multi-inning role last season. Uh, he was very successful in that role, and that's the role they prefer to keep him in. And I think what has happened is that Boxberger has been very, very good this spring. He has closing experience, and so they're just going to go with it and see how how all of this works out. Uh, there are issues to, to be uh, to be looked at here. Uh, Boxberger last had uh, had a significant number of saves in 2015. Uh, was very good in that year, but even that year his BPV was only 81. So whether he can hold the role, I think, is is, a, is open to question. Uh, but he's certainly going to begin the the year uh, as the uh, as the closer in Arizona. And we're also with Boxberger, there are potential injury issues. So how long this lasts, who knows? But Boxberger is there to start the season. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think the fact that he has uh, some closing experience, he has some saves. It was I know it was three years ago, but. 
don't you think sometimes we uh, overestimate how important it is that a guy closed games recently? I mean, he closed games, he throws strikes, he's a decent pitcher, it saves is so much of a role thing rather than a skill thing. I mean, of course there are skills involved, but all three, uh, uh, all of Boxberger and uh, Archie Bradley, even the Japanese pitcher Yoshihisa Hiriano, who came to camp uh, with a big record of closing games in Japan, all of these guys have proved they can close games, right? I mean, it's just because it was in some other country or in some other year. Is that really all that important? Yeah, you know, I think I think you're right. I think you may be very right there. I think maybe the bigger thing with Boxberger is to look at the last two seasons, 24 innings pitched in 2016, 29 innings pitched in 2017, uh, and an F health grade. So that's the thing that's most likely, I think, to knock him out of the out of the closer role uh, is he's, he's, he's very likely to get hurt and not make it all the way through the year. Of course, he also struck out 40 guys in those 29 innings last year, which is pretty uh, pretty decent to Dom ratio. It is indeed. I mean, we know Boxberger will get the strikeouts. Uh, and if I had him on my roster and, and, and where, where I could make weekly changes, or I, certainly he's a guy I would have in there right now because the strikeouts are going to come. Staying with closers in San Francisco, Mark Melanson reported, and I'm quoting, feeling something in his right arm, and the Giants are, as a result, unsure if he's going to be ready for opening day. Rob Carroll again on the story for playing time today. So the obvious question here, if Melanson isn't ready, who closes in San Francisco? Yeah, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things, and, and San Francisco, I'm sure, has as many uh, questions at, the, at this point as, uh, as we do, but, uh, and, and, even more of a long-term issue. How long is this uh, this this strange feeling in Melanson's arm, which undoubtedly is a result of of, of September surgery? Um, how long is that going to continue, and how long is it going to sideline him? Right now, we're not projecting that much of a loss, just a five percent save loss, and giving the game to Sam Dyson. And Sam Dyson looks like the guy who's going to be the initial guy out of the blocks for uh, for San Francisco in terms of closing games. Uh, you remember Sam Dyson from a year ago, six point oh nine ERA. Yeah. Uh, 14 saves, but really uh, ha- had trouble getting blown up a lot of times. And so I think Sam Dyson is certainly a shaky closer at this point. He did not have a strong spring uh, either. Oh, that's uh, understating the case, Nick. He allowed 10 runs in eight innings pitched, uh, 10 earned runs, I should say. And uh, this gets back to another point I-, I like to talk about. This whole save stat is dumb. Sam Dyson was awful last year, and he had 14 saves in 17 chances, which indicates to me you don't have to be particularly good to get saves. You just have to have the role. Yeah, that's right. You have to have the role and be in there at the right time uh, and have a manager who doesn't want to pull you out when you start blowing ball games. And so re- realistically, last year there were days when Sam Dyson was on and he pitched well and got through the ninth inning without any problems, and there were other days when he blew up completely and walked three guys and gave up a home run. So, uh, you know, it's, it's that kind of an issue with Sam Dyson, and um, he could be very good for, for a week. He could be awful for a week. They also have Hunter Strickland. Should we be looking at Hunter Strickland as well? Well, you know, if, if Dyson blows up fairly soon and we don't get much uh, and Melanson is not ready to come back, yeah, Hunter Strickland's a guy to look at. Um, Hunter Strickland is not somebody with a lot of saves experience, but Hunter Strickland is a pretty decent pitcher. Uh Last year, you had uh, 61 in his pitch, 58 strikeouts, 2.64 ERA, uh, a 55 BPV because he gave up a lot of hits and a 1.43 whip. But Hunter Strickland could, under some circumstances, do the role for a short time. How many qualifiers did I put in that sentence? (laughs) 
Like I said, uh, anybody can close games, I'm convinced of it. Uh, staying in San Francisco, the Giants have even more pressing issues in their rotation. Madison Bumgarner got a broken finger from another preseason fluke injury. He got hit by a line drive, as people know. And Jeff Samarja now is going to start on the DL with a pectoral strain. Uh, Rob Carroll covered this story as well. What does the San Francisco rotation look like on opening day other than troubled? Yeah, troubled is, is it. Uh, you've got... Uh... Uh, you've got uh, a, a mess is what you've got. Uh, you've got Johnny Cueto, of course, at the, at the top of that rotation, but the guys are going to get playing gains and playing time. Uh, how, how do these names strike you? Tyler Bede, uh, we're projecting him at a 5.77 ERA and a loss of uh, 26 roto dollars. You want him on your roster? Uh, and I'm sure San Francisco would just as soon not have him in their rotation as well. Uh, Ty Block is going to get some time as a starter. We're projecting Ty Block at a uh, 4.59 ERA, a little bit better, uh, but still not a uh, not a great pitcher. And so these guys are going to be in there for at least the time that uh, the Samarja and Bumgarner are on the DL. Uh, and during that time, we have to say that San Francisco is going to be hurting. So I guess this is one of those situations again, where especially in National League only formats, where almost every rotation pitcher has to be looked at at least as a source of innings because it's getting increasingly difficult to find innings at all. But is this one of those situations where you look at the uh, at the list of guys and say, you know what, they may get innings, but it's just not worth it. And what about Derek Holland? Well, you know, Derek Holland is certainly a guy to look at. It was one of those, you know, one of those strange moves where he was uh, was sent down and then was brought back up because uh, he's needed in the rotation. And Derek Holland is going to get a look. Um the question with Derek Holland is, what are we going to get out of Derek Holland? I mean, we know the name. He's been around a long time. Right now, uh, last season, though, look at Derek Holland a year ago. Uh, 29 games, a total of 135 innings pitch, a 6.20 ERA, a 6 BPV. Uh, Derek Holland has been fading over the last few seasons, and I think is not a guy, in spite of his name, that you want to put uh, put on your roster. I was just looking at Holland's projection at BaseballHQ.com, and he is going to improve that ERA all the way down to 5.9. Uh, That's going to help a, me a, a lot, A big game right? there. <laughs> yeah. And a 161 whip, and he's a minus $18 5 by 5 player because he just doesn't strike anybody out. We're projecting barely 80 strikeouts in 116 innings. So, um, th- again, one of these situations where you look at that whole rotation, and until Bumgarner and Samarja return – and maybe you look at Cueto, who's who's been really uh, difficult the last couple of years as well. Maybe you just have to look somewhere else. I, you know, it's one of those situations where, where you're playing the Giants and the Giants pitching staff at the moment. You load up on hitters on the opposite team, whoever that may be. In St. Louis, Jack Flaherty was named the fifth starter because of an injury to Adam Wainwright. Uh, Phil Hertz covers the Cardinals for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Jack Flaherty's a really top prospect. Uh, How should fantasy owners be looking at this guy as we head into the season? Yeah, Jack Flaherty is a, is a top prospect and someone, and St. Louis, of course, has had success with their prospects doing well uh, right out of the gate. So Jack Flaherty is a guy that I think I would definitely want to look at if he's out there available in your league. Um, Adam Wainwright, as we know, was sort of, was sort of shaky last year, uh, does have injury issues. And so Flaherty might, in fact, grab the, uh, uh, grab things and take off. Uh, you've got to, got to take that possibility into account, uh, that once he gets into the rotation, Flaherty may be good enough that he could stay there for a while. We're projecting a 3.66 ERA in 22 games, uh, a, uh, a $6 roto value, or $7 in 5x5. Five five. So uh, not, not bad if the guy's available on your waiver wire. 
A little bit low on the Dom ratio. A 7.5 strikeouts per nine is always a bit of a concern, especially when you're thinking of a guy as a top prospect. Cuts into his strikeouts. If he gets the 125 innings that we're projecting, it's barely going to be 100 strikeouts. Really, you can get that from a relief pitcher in certain instances. Yes, that's possible. And, you know, last year, uh, Flaherty had some time in St. Louis last year, and that, that did not go all that well. Uh, so he hasn't proved him, he's yet to prove himself uh, at the major league level, but uh, we've got our guys, our guys have him with a 9D uh, prospect rating, and the 9 signals that uh, this could be a top, a top starter. The D says he may have a, have a difficult, more difficult time getting there. Right. Uh, nine, I think, is a perennial all-star. Is, isn't that what the, what the nine rating is? A, a very, very good player, but that D rating means he has a relatively limited chance of reaching that ceiling. Even at that, though, uh, if you just downgrade everything a little bit to account for the probabilities, he still, he still projects for a career as a pretty decent starter. Right. Very definitely. I mean, this is a guy, a potential number two starter. Uh, if he wound up as a number three uh, on St. Louis, he would be a very solid starter on a fantasy team. And it's a good organization. They'll win games. Uh, they know what they're doing down there, so that's something to consider as well. I don't see him with number two upside unless he really does something with the strikeout rate. Uh, a lot of moves in Colorado, Nick. Uh, this is quite a story. They had already optioned outfielder David Dahl to AAA uh, because of Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, they've demoted Raymond Tapia now as well. This Gonzalez signing, which came as a surprise to some people, including me, it's having a lot of ripples. What's going on here? Well, you know, the, uh, the, what's going on here is the, uh, the Rockies didn't pay Carlos Gonzalez, uh, $8 million to, uh, uh, to sit on the bench. And so I think that is causing all kinds of ripples all over their lineup. Um, uh, we, we had the doll outcome baked into the initial projections at the time of the Gonzalez signing. There are no playing time adjustments right now for doll, but I, I, I think it's a real surprise that he was sent down. He, he had an excellent spring, laid the team in home runs and RBIs. Um, but has not yet appeared in a lot of games at the major league level. 2006-17 was spent rehabbing from rib and back issues uh, with 77 at-bats at single A and triple A. Get plenty of playing time uh, and eventually will wind up in, in left field or right field. He's a very good prospect. But right now you've got Gerardo Parra coming off uh, an outstanding offensive season. Uh, Ian Desmond will be getting some outfield time. So it's really not clear how much time Dahl could, can expect or could expect or when he'll get it uh, during this particular season. They also had Ray Tapia, who looked like he might be in the running, but as I mentioned, he was sent down as well, another casualty of Carlos Gonzalez's signing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another casualty of that signing, and he'll try to fine-tune his game away from Denver. Uh, bat on ball skills are intriguing. 369 batting average at AAA Albuquerque last year. Uh, lacks plate discipline. Uh, and uh, has good wheels, but hasn't quite figured out uh, how to how to use them on the base paths yet. Um, what this means is that Mike Talkman becomes the uh, Rockies' fourth outfielder, although essentially he's the fifth outfielder because Desmond is going to share first base time with uh, Ryan McMahon, who did make the roster and is going to start, and with Para. Meanwhile, the Rockies also sent down the catcher Tom Murphy, a uh, one-time catcher of the future. Uh, it looks like the future might be moving into the past. Yeah, I think it is. I, uh, a flagship forearm caught Murphy half of uh, last season. He underperformed at both AAA and during his brief time in Colorado. Uh, four home runs, 141 at-bats in AAA, one for 24 when he returned in Colorado. Um, the holes, are, they're big holes in Murphy's swing. 38 strikeouts and 103 at-bats over three seasons. So uh, Tony Walters will be the Colorado's backstop. 
behind Chris Iannetta. Uh, and so, again, uh, Walters is not a guy I think you want to, you want to uh, count on. A, an occasional walk is really the extent of his offensive contributions and uh, a very low 60s uh, hard contact rate uh, PX uh, make him really fantasy-wise invisible. So not, if, if you're looking for a backup for Iannetta, it's not Tony Walters. Yeah, most leagues require that second catcher, and we always kind of look at anybody in Colorado because of the park, but uh, Tony Walters does not look like the guy, that's for sure. Nick, uh, thanks a million for helping us out. Enjoy opening day, and we'll catch up with you again next week when we have some results to talk about. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, PD. Happy opening day. Yes, it is opening day, and uh, if it's opening day, sadly, we know Greg Bird of the Yankees must be back on the DL and sure enough, at the end of spring training, he had bone spurs on his ankle. He's going to have surgery. It's going to keep him out for six to eight weeks and maybe a little longer with the recovery. Matt Dodge covered this for Playing Time Today at BaseballHQ.com. The Yankees seem to have a lot of depth on their roster. What's the prognosis here for Bird and for the club? Well, Bird's 25-man roster spot's going to be taken over by Tyler Austin, who's a who's a right-handed hitter, and uh, he was in the lineup uh, today against... Uh, lefty A.J. Happ. Uh, um, he's mildly intriguing in that he has a 287 uh, minor league career average. Um, he's also put up some interesting small sample major league power metrics, seven home runs and 123 at-bats that seem to be at odds with his minor league numbers. Um, he's also not making a lot of contact at the major league level, which doesn't speak too well for him. But the real beneficiary here is going to be Tyler Wade early on. Uh, Neil Walker projects to move over from second base to first base against right-handers. And Wade's going to take over his second base spot. Uh, Wade has a profile of a, a plus batting average and stolen base guy. He stole 25, 26 bases in 31 attempts at AAA last year. And he can even pop an occasional home run despite below average power. Um, with the playing time increase, we suddenly have him projected for $15 fueled by mostly his speed, which if it comes to pass could have a lot of ramifications for Walker after Bird returns. Um, you add in all the other stellar major league ready minor league talent that the Yankees have and uh, you're right there's a lot of depth here and a lot of uncertain playing time in New York uh, in that infield. I agree with you, Jock, that the guy who's got to be looking over his shoulder at this point is Neil Walker. Uh, at first blush, it looks like, hey, you know, maybe uh, this is going to be good news for Neil Walker because he's going to have a place to play. But they're, they're certainly going to take a long look at the situation when Greg Bird gets back because Greg Bird is a, a pretty interesting player, shall we say, with a plus-plus power. And he's a, a, a good baseball player all around. Uh, this could have ramifications in that regard. Uh, speaking of injury news on the dumb injury news front in Kansas City catcher Salvador Perez suffered a medial collateral ligament tear and uh, I suppose most people have heard this by now but if you haven't braced yourself he was carrying his luggage and he slipped now apparently this is not going to require surgery that seems odd to me that if you tear an uh, um, MCL that it's not going to it's good news for him but it's still four to six weeks possibly longer if it turns out he does need surgery tough blow here for the Royals even tougher blow for his fantasy owners. Uh, Matt Dodge also covering this story. How do fantasy owners play the loss of Sal Perez? Well, 34-year-old Drew Butera is Perez's immediate backup, and he's suddenly projected for 254 at-bats, which is more than he's ever had in a single major league season, which should tell you something on its own. 
he's uh, his his career numbers suggest that he's a soft contact zero speed guy with a career 203 batting average and slightly over a thousand major league at bats so there's just really nothing to look at here and behind him uh, there's an untested rookie cam gallagher uh, 24 major league at bats uh, a 244 career minor league batting average so he can be passed on as well yeah, and you can't really think that Kansas City's going to be too interested in trying to trade for a catcher. They must realize, as most of the experts do, that uh, Kansas City is not going to be going anywhere this year on a competitive basis. So maybe they'll just take a look at Gallagher, take a look at uh, Butera, see what else they got kicking around in the farm system. I don't know. It doesn't look like a good situation for Salvador Perez owners, that's for sure. Uh, of course, what would opening day be without still more injury news on the pitching front in Tampa? Boy, this is bad news for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. It's been announced that uh, after a pretty decent spring, Nate Eovaldi is going to undergo surgery. He's got bone chips in his elbow. Matt Dodge, geez, he's a busy guy. He's everywhere this week. What's the uh, prognosis for Eovaldi, according to Matt, and uh, who's going to replace him in the roster? Well, it sounds like Eovaldi is going to be out for about half the season, and and this after recovering from a, a second Tommy John surgery last season, it just really doesn't bode well for his long-term outlook. Uh, uh, no announcement yet on um, uh, who might replace him in the in the rotation. Austin Pruitt was the corresponding uh, call up to his roster vacancy, and Pruitt has some starting experience, so he's a possibility. But he's a 28-year-old with a back of the rotation upside profile at best, so. Tampa Bay has has a few of these, and they could opt into another uh, direction. And, of course, the story before the season, Jock, was that Tampa was planning on using this four-man rotation and then having the fifth starter days be a mix-and-match of bullpen guys. But clearly the four-man rotation, depending on Nate Eovaldi being part of the picture, now that he's not, are there going to be changes made in that regard? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was looking at some of the uh, the the playing time sites including ours and now they're down to a three-man rotation and like I said there has been no announcement uh, they're really kind of embracing this bullpen uh, revolution uh, to to the fullest extent they have I think uh, eight or nine bullpen pitchers on the on the roster right now all of whom could pitch in uh, in long relief um, they have a whole bunch of uh, of minor league depth uh, uh, Matt Andres is is another back of the rotation option um, um, he could he could slot in there early on in place of uh, Eovaldi. They've also got names like Ryan Yarborough and uh, Lonnie Chirino, Sandra Kitteridge, all of whom are now up pitching out of the pen. And Anthony Banda, they just traded for him from Arizona. He's in AAA. All of these names are essentially going to be auditioning in April. And given that Tampa Bay, for all the AL East uh, offensive issues, Tampa's a, a, a pretty decent park to pitch in. Uh, so uh, it's not uninteresting to watch. Uh, we'll see what happens here. So for Tampa, it's going to be Archer, Faria, and Snell. And then what the hell? Out in Oakland, their rotation is starting the season on shaky ground. They had Jarrell Cotton, lost to Tommy John surgery. Now they lose prized rookie A.J. Puck. Uh, he was drafted in a lot of leagues that I was following, including the one I play in, where he went for actual money in the auction despite being ticketed for the minors. He's going to have Tommy John surgery as well. Uh, Rod Truesdell covered the story for Playing Time Today at BaseballHQ.com. How does this work for the A's, for their pitching rotation, and especially for fantasy owners? Well, there's a little immediate impact since Puck wasn't expected until midseason at the earliest. And I was, I was one of those Puck supporters. Again, I watched him pitch in uh, in Arizona this spring. I had a, a good seat right behind home plate, and he was impressive to say the least. But uh, for an A staff that looked shaky to begin with, and now 
um, with puck out and he really represented the the future uh, maybe after the all-star break this is a huge blow um, and and like you said it's a it's a a, a big hit for keeper owners who drafted him this year or for owners who drafted him this year and certainly for keeper owners who are speculating on him having some value in 2019 which as Rod Trustell notes uh, isn't going to happen um, add to that Grant Holmes' shoulder issues and and right now it's tough to see where the midseason reinforcements are going to come from in Oakland and and that pitching staff's going to need them um, they don't, they're not looking real good right now on the other hand, they have a very imaginative front office. They're willing to take chances with uh, different ways of doing it. Could they be uh, likely to adopt some kind of Tampa Bay four-man rotation system where they could make up the difference with relievers and middle guys? Yeah, it's possible. Um, obviously, they're going to have to have the depth in AAA to shuttle them back and forth off the roster because uh, um, somebody's going to have to pitch those innings, obviously, and uh, um, they, they actually have a pretty good bullpen right now, a veteran bullpen. So uh, we're going to have to see w what happens in Oakland. But if any situation calls for some creativity, it's going to be this one. Jock and my American League tout team, uh, I lost Jacoby Ellsbury to a preseason injury. He'll start the year on the DL. And uh, to make up the difference, I went into the waiver wire pool of my league and grabbed Ichiro Suzuki. And I was pleased to see that the Mariners announced he's going to be on the roster and in game the first game of the season. But in the meantime, the Mariners have also signed Jason Wirth, uh, late of the Washington Nationals, to a minor league deal. And uh, gosh, he's kind of old and coming off a pretty poor season. What's the fit here in Seattle? And should I be worried as an Ichiro owner? I would say probably. I, I mean, I don't think this is a terrible signing by the Mariners, given that they just really don't have any dependable MLB-ready offensive depth in their outfield. Uh, as you know, Ichiro's 44, and yeah, he can he can still hit for average if the hits fall and maybe even steal you a base. Uh, um, the, the 217 incumbent is Ben Gamble, but he's on the shelf for at least par, um, part of April with an oblique strain. And even after he returns, his overall skill set in that second half collapse last year hardly inspire confidence. Um, the Mariners have signed Ichiro and Worth. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not done. Um, so I, I have a feeling that left field um, um, position is going to be something of a revolving door for them. So the question is, does Worth have anything more to offer than Ichiro or Gamble? The answer to that is a definite maybe. Gun to my he head, I might prefer Worth slightly over Ichiro and Gamble, if only for the upside. Um, he missed almost half of 2017 last year with a bruised left foot, which certainly contributed to his 250 at-bats. And, and a year before that, a healthier worth actually earned $12 on 500 at-bats, uh, fueled by 21 homers. Uh, he's not going not gonna to hit for a high average. He only hit uh, 244 a couple of years ago. Again, Ichiro could, could maybe approach this kind of performance, but he, but he hasn't for the past four seasons, and he's now 44 years old. Gamble did this last year, but it was all in the first half, and that second half makes it look fleeting. Uh, the problem with all these names is the downside and the uncertainty. You don't want to spend a lot of fab or waste a high waiver pick on any of them. Uh, the fact that a player like Melky Cabrera remains unsigned now on opening day makes me hesitate when it comes down to, to names like this. Yeah, I suppose if Seattle believes that they have some kind of chance to make the playoffs even as a wild card, they're going to have to take a long look at a guy like Melky Cabrera. On the other hand, if they think that maybe it's not going to go so well, they might not want to spend the money because uh, uh, it's not going to be a zillion dollars. But Melky Cabrera is an established veteran, a guy who's proved that he can handle major league pitching and be a productive player. I, I don't know that the Mariners would be willing to splash out that kind of coin. 
Yeah, I don't know what the situation financially is in, in Seattle, but they have been touting to their fans that they're contending this year. They're, they seem to think they can go after it, and maybe if, the, if the, the starting pitching stays healthy, which I don't think it will, it didn't last year, they're right. Uh, I, I think you're right. I, I think their, uh, their contention plans are tenuous, but they've been um, beating that contention drum now for two years, and it hasn't changed that much. So they're in an interesting situation. Right now we have uh, Ben Gamble getting 60% of the playing time and Ichiro getting 25. Uh, baseball HQ team analysts for the Seattle Mariners have given Jason Wirth just 5% of the at-bats for now, but I suppose that could change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Worth is probably going to report to AAA to round into shape, and uh, if he hits, and depending on how Ichiro is doing and Gamble is doing, I mean, he could... Jason Worth could find himself the starter by the middle of May. That would be something. Okay, Jock, thanks very much for helping us out. Enjoy opening day and opening weekend, and we'll catch up with you again in a week's time when we have some actual performance to talk about. Indeed, PD. We'll talk to you later. Jock Thompson is a writer at BaseballHQ.com and the site's director of news and analysis. When we return, it'll be our Baseball HQ commentaries. The Minor League Minute, Frequent Flyer, and Pitcher Matchups are all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. In the meantime, though, I'd like to tell you about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time today this week, the HQ analyst team looks at the closer situations in Los Angeles, the Angels, and Arizona, at a catcher lost to the DL, and a whole lot more news analysis from both leagues just in time for your last drafts. In our new column, From A to Zinke, Fred Zinke joins the BaseballHQ.com analyst team looking at the macro-level and micro-level details that are attracting his attention this opening day. And in the GM's office, Brent Hershey lays out the in-season plan for BaseballHQ.com and how it will help owners win in 2018. Those are just three articles among dozens, a small sample of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all season long, and why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for those regular HQ Radio commentaries. We have frequent flyer and pitcher matchups coming up, and leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a look at Pittsburgh third baseman Colin Moran is Baseball HQ Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon. The Pittsburgh Pirates' Colin Moran came over from the Houston Astros as a key part of the Garrett Cole deal in January. Early speculation was that he would have to compete with veteran David Freeze for playing time, but Moran showed enough in spring training, hitting 362 with a 383 on base percentage and a 448 slugging percentage, that the Pirates named him their everyday third baseman, and he should get the bulk of the bats to begin the season. Moran was the sixth overall pick back in 2013, and is just now starting to live up to that potential. He had his best season as a pro last year, hitting 308 with a career-high 18 home runs and 312 at-bats at AAA Fresno before his season was cut short after taking a foul ball to the face. Prior to the injury, Moran showed a more selective approach at the plate with 33 walks and 59 strikeouts that allowed him to hunt for pitches that he could drive, posting an 82% contact rate. Moran is a below-average defender but does have a strong arm and should be able to stick at third base over the short term. Moran will need to bring his newfound selectivity with him to the majors, but if he can, he has enough thump in his bat to make an impact in NL-only formats. 
For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minors. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on the top prospects, moves within organizations, daily call-ups reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week's prospect coverage includes the daily call-ups reports with prospects who are starting the season on the big league rosters. And in his latest The Eyes Have It column, Chris Blessing discusses the Braves' future stars game earlier this week. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, and boy, don't you have to do that, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for Frequent Flyer, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool or in the end game of your drafts if you still have any, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyer is Minnesota outfielder Ryan Lamar, and here to tell you more is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Here's a piece of opening day advice. This season, don't take the Minnesota Twins' fifth outfielder. For Granite. It's a somewhat surprising move, the Twins said outfielder Zach Granite, popular choice late in many AL only drafts, to AAA Rochester in favor of 29 year old Ryan LaMare. Despite getting only two hits, both singles, in 29 Major League games over the past three seasons for three different teams, this non roster invitee is getting his chance. Why? Maybe it's because he led the Twins with the 475 average through 24 spring training games this season. Maybe it's because he reportedly shortened his swing in the offseason, helping to produce those above-average results in spring training. Or maybe it's because he can play all three outfield positions as plus speed on the base pass. Whatever the reason, Ryan LeMaire appears to have done the unthinkable. At age 29, make his wife's hometown team's opening day 25-man roster as a non-roster invitee. She's from Medina, Minnesota. They reportedly met at the University of Michigan. And he has only played in eight big league games over the past two years, going hitless at all after debuting in 2015 and playing 21 games for the Cincinnati Reds, the team that drafted him in the second round in 2010. In other words, the odds seem stacked against Ryan LeMaire before spring training even began. That's why Ryan LeMaire, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, a big long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. And chances are he probably is. A closer look at Ryan LeMaire's 2017 stats shows an unimpressive slash line of 247, 328, and 300 with no home runs and 9 steals in 15 attempts in only 51 games between two AAA organizations, not exactly numbers that jump off the page. But here's a number that jumps off the page. Ryan LeMaire stole 52 bases at Class A Advanced Bakersfield in 2011, his second year in the minors. He followed that up with 55 steals in 122 minor league games in 2012. To put that number in perspective, Minnesota Twins teammate Byron Buxton swiped 55 bags in 2013, one year later, and imagine this. Back in 2012, Ryan LaMare, along with his teammate Billy Hamilton, together accounted for 80 of AA Pensacola's 129 steals. That's 62%. Don't expect regular bats for Ryan LaMare with the Minnesota Twins in 2018, but he's beaten the odds and the tag before, and he probably will again. 
Just never, ever, ever take Ryan LaMere for granted. Instead, take him as our opening day frequent flyer. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for pitcher matchups. And here with a look at Carlos Carrasco taking on James Paxton, Steven Sprasberg battling Luis Castillo, and other weekend matchups is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. Each week in this segment, we scan our exclusive pitcher matchup ratings to highlight the most interesting outings scheduled for Saturday and Sunday. Patrick Davitt just described how to use our pitcher matchup rating system, and pitcher matchup ratings rely upon our exclusive Pure Quality Start Scoring System, or PQS. Individual PQS game scores range from 0 to 5. Starting pitchers can earn one point for each of the following. More than six innings pitched, fewer hits than innings pitched, five or more strikeouts, three times as many strikeouts as walks, and no home runs allowed. PQS scores of 0 and 1 are rated disasters, PQS scores of 2 and 3 are rated decent, and PQS scores of 4 and 5 are rated dominant. For the first few weeks of each season, last year's data play more of a role in our formula for determining pitcher matchup ratings. As we accumulate large enough samples from the current season, pitcher matchup ratings incorporate up-to-date performance for both starting pitchers and teams. In the American League on Saturday, the Seattle Mariners' home game against the defending Central Division champion Cleveland Indians is a lone contest in which both starters have positive pitcher matchup ratings. The M's James Paxton puts up his 0-38 against the top matchup rating in the league for Saturday, Carlos Carrasco's 0-8-0. In a March 6 Facts and Flukes analysis, BaseballHQ.com's Brant Chesser concluded that investing in Paxton is not for the faint of heart. Paxton's 2016 base performance value of 134 and 2017 base performance value of 143 must be weighed against his health grade of F. We project Paxton to earn $16 for 145 innings of work in 2018. Carrasco's projections top Paxton's in nearly every category. Despite his own health grade being only a C, we have Carrasco projected for over 200 innings pitched and more than a strikeout per inning. It makes sense that Carrasco and Cleveland have the edge. Saturday also features the largest matchup rating differential in the American League. The 2017 World Series champion Houston Astros Lance McCullers takes his matchup rating of 067 north to Arlington for an interstate rivalry opening series in which he draws Matt Moore and his matchup rating of minus 136. That's a differential of 2.03 matchup points in favor of McCullers and the visiting Astros. McCullers is another quality starter with a health grade of F. We have McCullers projected for just 116 innings pitched, but 131 strikeouts. Be wary of his whip, but be ready to speculate on his ace upside. In a March 3 starting pitcher buyer's guide, Stephen Nickran noted that last season McCullers posted an elite ground ball rate of 63% while showing better command against left-handed hitters than right-handed hitters. Moore is yet another starting pitcher with a health grade of F, but without many redeeming qualities. Moore is projected for a whip of nearly 1.5 and and an earned run average of nearly 5.5. This mismatch favors McCullers and the Astros. Staying with Saturday but switching to the National League, we have the only other weekend matchup pitting two starting pitchers with positive matchup ratings against one another. 
In Cincinnati, Reds 2017 first-year phenom Luis Castillo has a matchup rating of 036, and that's topped by the reigning National League East division champion Washington Nationals Steven Strasburg and his matchup rating of 076. Castillo made the up list from our 2018 baseball forecaster when we gave him a speculative ceiling of 200 strikeouts and an ERA of 325. Despite his health grade of D, Strasburg has made 23 or more starts for six consecutive seasons, posting a career base performance value of 151. Last season was his best in terms of roto value as Strasburg earned $30. Only the Nats' superior offense tips the scales toward the visiting Washingtonians and Steven Strasburg in this one. On Sunday in the National League, there are only two positive matchup ratings. One belongs to another youngster who made the up list from our 2018 baseball forecaster, St. Louis's Luke Weaver. He heads into City Field with his matchup rating of 030 against the Mets' surgically repaired Steven Matz and his matchup rating of minus 038. We gave Weaver a speculative ceiling of 200 strikeouts and an ERA of 3 in the 2018 forecaster. After 10 successful starts last season, Weaver heads into this season with projections for about 180 innings pitched and 180 strikeouts, an ERA of 333 and a whip of 119 for a base performance value of 122. Mats may be following in Jacob deGrom's footsteps in more ways than one. The young lefty underwent ulnar nerve repositioning surgery this past August and his recovery seems to be going as well as deGrom's did. Matt's projections are understandably much more modest than DeGrom's. We have Matt's pegged for a base performance value of 93 in 152 innings pitched, with 124 strikeouts, a whip of 134, and an ERA of 391. In short, Weaver looks well-equipped to beat Matt's and the Mets. You can check our site to get updated matchup information every morning. As of this recording, we have Carlos Carrasco and Cleveland with the edge over James Paxton and the M's in Seattle. Lance McCullers and the Astros overwhelming Matt Moore and the Rangers in Arlington, Steven Strasburg and the Nationals in a good one over the Reds in Cincinnati, and Luke Weaver and the Cards on top of Steven Matz and the Mets in the Big Apple. Best of luck for a successful start to your fantasy season. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick does weekend pitcher matchups all during the season here at Baseball HQ Radio. When we return, our regular weekly talk with Todd and Master Notes, both coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time for our regular weekly talk with Todd. And it's my pleasure once again to welcome from Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, Todd Zola. Todd, welcome back to the show. Opening day sounds so good, Patrick. Also kind of kind of glad to be back home after a month on the road. You were in Las Vegas to do a bunch of NFBC auctions and drafts uh, on the weekend. Uh, you talked about a lot of this on your Twitter account, at Todd Zola, and I can really recommend it. It's very in-depth and interesting to talk about. But one of the uh, things you mentioned in the NFBC mixed auction commentary that you were doing was that you made what you've now called a rookie mistake. What happened? Yeah, um... So I did something that, uh, you know, you try to be nice and you, you, you nominate players at not $1 and, you know, to keep the auctioneer happy and all that kind of stuff. So I nominated Matt Carpenter, who I was just, I was, there were other corners that I wanted more. And I was just trying to fill a spot with somebody on Carpenter. And I put him out there for 10 because he's a, even heard he's a 15 16 $17 player. But guess who got crickets and ended up with Matt Carpenter in their corner? I mean, listen, he's still, I mean, he, he's not, he's worth more than 10, or at least he should be, but I didn't want Carpenter 
and I didn't want to lock up that spot, it uh, what it ended up doing was freezing me out of corner and utility as, as far as nominations go because they were all filled at this point. So I spent more than I wanted, and it prevented me from making nominations at that spot. So it was just kind of kind of put me on tilt. But I mean, you, you, what do you do? You try to be nice and keep the room light and put them out for ten and not one, or you try to do the smart thing, you put them out for one. So uh, actually, it turned out too that I should have recognized that he should that he that he may have that that the ten may have even been crickets because the other mistake was I did. We talked a few weeks back about recognizing when pitching prices are out of whack. I should have seen, especially concise since I keep track of things in tiers, I should have seen that every hitter was going at least one, if not two tiers, below my expected price. And, you know, that was one tier, you know, $10 is one tier below the expected price for Carpenter. I should have known to uh, not take the chance and either put someone else I want or put Carpenter out for less. So it made a, you know, I, I, I call it two rookie mistakes at that. Well, I don't know what the, I don't know if recognizing the market's a rookie mistake, but it's something I should have done. At first on Twitter, you said you liked the team despite the mistake that you made, and then you changed your mind and said you don't like the team. What happened? Humbly speaking, and, you know, if there's people in that auction and, you know, listening, you know, I mean, whatever, but I think I should have crushed that room. I think I should have recognized the, the hitting going so low earlier than I did and adjusted and really taken advantage of it and really should have crushed the room. So... It's not so much that I don't like the team as much as I think it could have been better. Uh, the pitching is pretty solid. I'm happy with the pitching. I made a, an early bid on Cesar Hernandez, and I don't think that the Kingery, Mike Kingery, uh, Scott, Mike Kingery, <laughs> Scott Kingery announcement had come out at the time. At the very least, I was unaware. So Hernandez is a player I favor. And, I, you know, it came out early. Sometimes these guys come out early because their owners try to get them for a buck or two. I got him for four. So, you know, it's not a killer price. It, you know, I, I replaced him in, 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 in fab, uh, not fab, but reserve, I believe, with Colton Wong and, and some other middle infielders. So I'm going to be okay at the spot, especially because, you know, you only need $4 worth of, uh, of stats to at least break even at that point. But, um, I, uh, you know, it, it, it could have been... The person putting him out may have been aware of the move and may have been trying to catch some. What is this now, a third mistake I've made? Man, uh, I really should have crushed the room and now I've made three mistakes. How do you like your uh, two single league teams? I like those. I like the two single league teams a lot. I paid, I paid a little bit for pitching in the, in the, in the, in the NL because I like some of the, uh, the pitchers more. The AL, I went a very safe staff. I tried to do this last year but didn't do it very well in that I got a few starting pitchers and a lot of safe relievers and I will use the course of the season to find the necessary starting pitchers to supplement and make the team competitive. Last year my anchor to this idea was Kevin Gaussman so it didn't work out so well. This year it's Sonny Gray. I'm hoping it works out better. Last year I, uh, I had a choice of either Chris Davinsky or Matt Strom and I chose Matt Strom. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this year, I hope my choices of David Robinson and some of his friends, Chad Green, uh, will work out better. So I like the AL and AL teams. I even like my mix, my main event team. But uh, I just had uh, one more observation from your uh, from your NFBC okay. experience as you posted it on Twitter. Uh, you got Matt Strom anyway. Now that he's in San Diego, is he just? Did you think he was a better bet there, or what? Why? 
once you like a guy, you kind of always like a guy. Yeah, and I know he hasn't pitched well. I like the. It's more that he's going to be starting with Kansas City last season. He was supposed to be a reliever, and I thought he'd be a good reliever in the in the in the vein of Davinsky. Uh He's got a chance to start out there. Now he had a rough spring, and I don't think he's breaking camp in the rotation. But I probably got him late and late in the reserves. And I what I'll do is I'll take a lot of pitching in the reserves, and. If I get an injury, I'll you know I'll I'll I'll, be, I'll drop the guy to pick up a hitter. Right now, there's ample hitting in the re, in the free agent market that I prefer to throw my uh, darts at some pitchers in the in the bull, in, uh, in the reserve and and, and kind of let themselves weed themselves out. So I think it's a nice dart throw for a uh, you know maybe he doesn't help me this week, but he could help me in future weeks. Also in your National League team, you grabbed uh, two closers, uh, Kenley Jansen, the best closer in the business, I think, and uh, you got Brad Boxberger, who's just recently been announced, I talked about this with Nick a few minutes ago, as the uh, closer to start the season in Arizona. Was that a, a kind of a speculative bet, or were you really convinced that Boxberger was going to get the job? Why, why Brad Boxberger? I got him for $4. so Which is great. He's yeah. useful with all those strikeouts regardless in 5 by 5 regardless if he's closing. But for $4, I thought it was a, uh, uh, you know, to me an obvious, it was an endgame purchase, and I was, you know, fortunate that he was still around in the endgame when I was sort of controlling the hammer. Had he come out earlier, had he got up to 8 or 9, I may not have uh, I may not have made the investment. But, yeah, if, if, if you asked me to handicap the bullpen previous to the announcement, I would have had Boxberger, you know, most likely to get the saves. But it, it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be saying he's definitely going to get the saves. I'm not sure anybody would have. It's just I, I, I kind of felt that. Well, first the humidor is gonna, it's gonna help. I thought once the humidor was announced, one of the things I said was that reduces the chances of Bradley getting saves just because the warts of Boxberger and Hirano are covered up a bit with the humidor. So I kind of, you know, right then and there, because I was on Bradley a lot early. I just, uh, Hirano's strikeout rate scares me, and the walk rate and the home runs given up by Boxberger are somewhat mitigated by the humidor. I just, I would have had him in the lead, so, uh, you know, sometimes you got to get lucky, too. That same, you know, I mentioned Hernandez and Kingery again. <laughs> I've got the two of them on that Tout Wars team, sort of by plan. So maybe it hurts my mixed auction team, but uh, it may help my Tout Wars team. We'll see. Moving on, uh, we had uh, a, an early start in baseball this year, moving back to the Thursday, of course, uh, opening day being today. And this has caused some commissioners in some leagues a bit of heartburn because of the uh, question about who's on the DL, who's not on the DL. Uh, how did Tout Wars deal with that? By the, by the letter of the law rule stated that the player had to be put on the major league team's DL by yesterday in order for to be put on the DL today. But with the, the inordinate amount of, of players there uh, have not been put on the DL yet. Not to mention, because it's a full slate of games, uh, you know, some you know some have already the, the East Coast games or the early games, the players are on the DL. But the later games, the teams don't have to f officially do it till their game time. So uh, just because of the difference in times, we... Uh, we 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 enacted what we like to think is a common sense ruling. Let the best team win. Let's not let something that we can control control the outcome. I mean, stuff happens all season long that we can't control. We can control this by making a common sense rule, and that being, if it's patently obvious that the player is going to go on the DL, and he just hasn't been, 
you know, procedurally done so yet by his team. The fax hasn't arrived, or the email hasn't, the fax, <laughs> geez, am I old? The email hasn't arrived in the Major League office yet. Uh, then we are still going to uh, allow the DL of that play, you know, Madison Bumgarner. He's going on the DL. He's not on the DL you know, yet, and, you know, but as, as we're making this recording, his team should not be penalized. He should, his team should not have to release a player, because the other thing we did was we had our fab run on Sunday. We don't require rosters to be cleaned up until first pitch of that week. So some people are, you know, air quotes, carrying an illegal roster now with, you know, they could have to make a drop or put a person on a player on reserve. They have to do one or the other. So they were anticipating being able to make a DL move. You know, if, if Madison Bumgarner's team was forced to drop a reserve, and as you know, there's only four reserves in Tout Wars, so it, it could be a potentially valuable player. Whereas, I don't know, Dustin Pejoya's owner, he was put on the DL today. His owner was, was spared having to do that, and he was able to just DL Pedroia. Well, I mean, you know, that it was just dumb luck that happened. It's du- it, there's dumb luck anyway with injuries and the whatnot, but this is something we can control, I think anyway, using common sense. So I'm glad that the board came to the conclusion that what we're doing is correcting a bad rule in the first place. And I know there's this whole thing about, you know, rules are rules are rules, but, you know, this is a bad rule. And I, I just, we felt it was better for the league, the competition, to uh, to right our wrong, even if it means the SWATs, which happened to be on the, <laughs> which happened to myself and Peter, who who were on the council that made the rule, uh, have to do a little bit of extra work today cleaning up the mess. I agree with the uh, with the conclusion. Uh, there are leagues I know who have commissioners. I know that are very very much sticklers for the rule of law, and you can't amend anything and you can't change anything. And it does seem just unfair in an unreasonable way that uh, you know that uh, Madison Bumgarner is going on the DL. In my case, I had Jacoby Ellsbury. I know he's going on the DL. And had I had the rule not been relaxed in this instance, I would have been stuck, forced to use one of my reserve spots, which are scarce, as you mentioned, and very valuable, to, to hold uh, Jacoby Ellsbury for one day, but it ends up being four days until I can fix it on Sunday with the next move, uh, the next move threshold. It just does seem a little ridiculous that we can't look at the situation and say, look, common sense says this guy's on the DL. Now, I think maybe a follow-on problem that might come up, not necessarily in Tell Wars, but in other leagues is, once you start using common sense at this stage of the season, what happens in September when a lot of guys can make the same argument? This guy's got a you know a torn ACL; he's out for the year, but they don't use the DL in September because they don't need to. Uh, is there is that another area where common sense might one day prevail? It's a different situation. That is one that has been around for a long time. the The problem now, and just this whole this whole landscape of injuries. There's just more guys hurt right now than ever before, and it's happening earlier than ever before. So there's just more players that, that are that are impacted this way, influenced this way. So um, maybe you know we probably should have. We we like to think we're pressing it, and and a lot of our rules we weren't pressing it enough in this to anticipate this this issue. It's something that I think we, it could have been cut off. But you know, I mean, you 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 have a salient argument come September. Now, I don't think we can change it. I don't think this will be changed in the fly, but I think if someone were to come to the board and say, well, you've already shown that you're willing to use a common sense ruling uh, for the for opening day, maybe for next year, can we do that for September too? 
And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we would do it, but I think that, I think, you know, that, that idea would not be scoffed at, that's for sure. Yeah, nor should it. Uh, another rule question that came up uh, quite a while ago and has still been filtering around on the message boards that I that I follow and that I've heard is about Shohei Otani. And the question was, of course, do you have to draft him as a pitcher and a hitter separately? Can you draft him as one but play him as two? There's all kinds of ramifications with this Babe Ruth act that he's planning on pulling off. And then lately there's been another wrinkle that has been added, which is a lot of leagues have a rule that if the guy wasn't in the majors last year, uh, then you take his performance at his most high level in the previous year, which for Otani, of course, would be the Japanese professional leagues. And the thing is, he had 65 games hitting in those leagues and only five pitching. And by that rule, he shouldn't be eligible as a pitcher at all until he gets five starts this season in Major League Baseball. How are commissioners handling that, do you think, and how should they? Yeah, I wrote about this way back in, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the fall. Um, I, I, I labeled the first piece in opening up Pandora's box, and I wrote it about this. And I, I, did, I, quite, I, made, I posed that exact question in that should he actually be hitter eligible and about three or four days pitcher later I, I i wrote a follow-up saying you know of course he should be pitcher eligible you know let's have some fun this is fantasy baseball this is a unique player let's not let's not get overboard let's you know if you don't have a rule already and honestly what league has a rule defining pitcher eligibility he's a pitcher because he's a pitcher right i mean we already have that that's that's kind of the rule uh so what I what I did I said you know I said of course you know let's use common sense but let's also you know what it, it's let's let's make a rule there's Brendan McKay coming up from Tampa there could be others let's define a rule where you define what a hitter is you define what a pitcher is and you have a rule that says a player can be both and then you decide how you want to do the you know one one roster spot two roster spots etc but before you even get to that point let's define pitching eligibility because I mean, what what if something really weird happens and Otani can't pitch this season, but he can hit? Does that mean in 2019 he's only a hitter because he didn't pitch at all this season in, in Major League Baseball? So, you know, I, I, you know, my suggestion was, and it was a part, this, this emanated from a discussion in the XFL with Ron Chandler, and Ron was the first one that said, well, maybe we should have define pitching and hitting and you know my piece it may not be clear that ron sort of planted that seed but yeah that that, that came from you know I, I don't want to say it was obvious but i think you know i think we all would have come to that conclusion anyway but um yeah and i my friends at uh my friends at espn when i went in for our or our for our yearly conference first thing they said to me was, was so dude you try to break the internet with that otani thing huh so uh they actually they actually have instituted that rule in their in their in their in their standard rules where they define hitting and pitching uh, qualifications, and you know it's 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 rare that ESPN will do something like that. So we were kind of joking about that. That I uh, I actually made ESPN change a rule. Once again this year, uh, Tout Wars, you personally, and some others are going to be doing the fab reporting. Uh, you- it used to be called You Look Fabulous, which I thought was a tremendous title, and I don't know if that's still the case. But these reports are weekly events where somebody looks at all the bids that were made in Tout Wars and in Labor and analyze them. Uh, first of all, why why is this done? Yeah, uh, I've actually been doing it for years now. And I, I think I was just talking with our, with our friend Brian Walton, and we just noticed it was a void that no one, no one talked about it. It had been done... 
uh, on some sites over the years, but it, it kind of fell by the wayside. And, you know, Brian kind of looks at me and goes, you're, you're just the guy to do it. So I said, you know what, you're right. So I started to put these Tout Wars uh, and, and Labor Fab reports together. I was able to get the results from the from all the leagues and with a little Excel magic, make it into a, uh, you know, a readable table. And what I would do is I would uh, I would make some commentary in, in my, my, at the time, my Masters Balls colleagues, those of the, everybody in each league would make some commentary about it, and uh, they became pretty popular. We would, uh, you know, the labor ones, Steve Gardner, our friend Steve, would would link uh, on some of the USA Today stuff, and you know, you know the power of Gannett, of Gannett. So we would get some uh, some serious hits on the on the reports, and you know, we did our best with the Tout Wars site to publicize them and and tweeting them out and stuff like that. So we got some nice readership there too. They were the they were the top read pieces on the old Masters well, the, the, you know, the Masters Ball site, which which now is just me at the time. Lar Lar Michaels and Brian and a bunch of other people were with, were with. They were easily the top uh, frequented pieces of the year. So um, I don't know we just people were, you know not only was it a way for people to stay in touch with the league, just felt that knowing what players. The, uh, the, the the participants were after and how much they were willing to bid and some of the contingencies we thought that was important uh, I'd like to think that some of my commentary was you know part entertaining part informative and you know and, and, and same with the commentary of, of, of my colleagues the other thing I found over the years was you know I, I'm in an AL only league your reports came out too late I couldn't use them uh, what I what I found was that those in, uh, or actually, say the you know the mixed leagues um, couldn't use them because the guys were already taken. What I found was players taking the AL and the NL only often were on the radar of the mixed leagues in the next couple of weeks, and there's far more people playing mixed leagues than AL and NL only. So it was kind of a way to get ahead of the game. Let's see who might be uh, on the top of the the pickup list in the next couple of weeks by looking to see who the AL and the NL only players picked up this week. So that was one reason, uh, one way of doing it. And I, uh, throughout the course of the year, and I think we've talked about it, by looking at the reports, you could kind of figure out who may want to trade for a pitcher or who's looking for steals just by who they bid on. So you know, not so much, it doesn't help if you know who in Tout Wars, but by reading some of my commentary and picking up some of the tips, you can apply it to your own league's reports. Wow, this guy bid on five stolen base guys and didn't get any of them. And I've got, you know, Malik Smith sitting on reserve. I probably should give this guy a phone call. So, you know, when I notice things like that, I talk about it in the commentary. So it's a way to keep it's a way to keep everybody engaged in Tout Wars. But it's also a way, you know me, I like to try to get little nuggets out there over the course of the season. It's a way to sort of present some of these standalone tidbits that maybe aren't worthy of a column, but are worthy of a mention in the commentary. And real quick, if I could just say about the Fab Reports, they used to be on Masters Ball, but this year you can find the Tout Wars report on toutwars.com, and you can find the Labor report on creativesports2.com. Lar and Brian, when we when we uh, unmerged, I'm gonna they're they're gonna continue to, to publish the Labor reports, and they're gonna help us. Uh, Lar and Brian are gonna help with the quotes, and on the Tout Wars report, I'm rotating people from Tout Wars to do the commentary. I'm just glad you didn't say you should give the guy a fax to, to make the trade offer. <laughs> uh, finally, before I let you go, Todd, uh, I don't, uh, I've already spoken with uh, Harold Nichols about the National League news, and we didn't get to this uh, breaking story. Greg Holland has signed with the Cardinals. How do you think that's going to affect the uh, bullpen situation there? Obviously, it appears that he'll step right in as closer. 
Okay, first of all, yippee! I got him in a lot of places. In a, a few places, I have um, like Blake Parker. So I'm 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 making this more about me. Wee-hee. Uh But with Greg Holland, yeah, he'll he'll step right in his closer. You know, Gregerson Leone. If you picked up Dominic Leone, you're probably a little bit bummed out. But he's gonna help. He's still gonna. He's still going to, you know what, he's probably going to pick up saves anyway, because I can't imagine Holland's going to be ready right away. So the amount of saves that Leon was going to pick up for Gregerson being hurt, he probably still going to get those three or four or five. So I wouldn't rush out to drop Dominic Leon right now. But, um, yeah, you got to figure he's going to throw some in extended spring. And absolutely, he'll step right in. And you kind of have to wonder, you know, man, I mean, we just talked about common sense with fantasy. Why didn't this occur earlier? I mean, it was so obvious that, that Holland was perfect fit for the Cardinals. Sometimes maybe, I don't know, draft pick compensation. I don't know. You just have to scratch your head sometimes. And of course, this is not good news for Luke Gregerson owners either. No, no. But um, you know what? If you were a Luke Gregerson owner and you were counting on him to be your saves guy through the course of the year, um, listen, I talked about four or five mistakes I made myself earlier. That would have been a mistake. You know, honestly, I mean, you could you, you could have thought he'd get some and you got him on the cheap. But, you know, I got Gregerson. My saves are done. Yeah, that's a mistake. Yeah, clearly. Uh, Todd Zola, thanks very much. As always, insightful and fun to talk with you. Enjoy opening day and, uh, and opening weekend. And we'll talk to you again in seven days' time. Absolutely, Patrick. Thank you. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire and appears here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to talk about the top 200 fantasy hitting seasons in baseball since 1947. Earlier this week, the feature expert on the March 27th Tuesday Tout edition of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast was Rudy Gamble of Razball.com. It's a terrific conversation, and one of the many interesting things we discussed was a quiz that Rudy uploaded to the Sporkle website about the top 200 fantasy baseball seasons for hitters from 1947 to 2013. The challenge was to guess who the player was by looking at just the stats and the season. This topic interested me because a few years ago, I had tried to figure out the very same thing, which hitters had had the most valuable fantasy seasons. I wanted to check a hypothesis I had, that the best seasons would be Ricky Henderson's 1982, when he stole 130 bases, and Mickey Mantle's 1961, when he hit 54 home runs, scored 132 runs, drove in 128, stole 12 bags, and batted 317. Not a bad year's work. Imagine my surprise then when both of these epic seasons were on the list, but not even in the top 50. Henderson's 130 bag year was 185th on the top 200 at just $34 in value, while Mantle's 1961 was a little better at 65th overall, worth a little short of $40, but still not among the top seasons. The best season belonged to Mike Schmidt but there could be an asterisk here. Schmidt carded a season with 31 homers, 91 RBIs, 12 steals, 78 runs scored, and a 316 batting average, which seems a little too paltry of production for a valuation well over $55. But as Rudy explained, 1981 was a strike year, and Schmidt accomplished those totals in just 354 at-bats. 
The stats weren't prorated. Had they been, they'd have been something like 53 homers, 154 RBIs, 20 bags, and 132 runs scored, and that would have been in an era when 30 home runs was more the norm for the sluggers. If you're scoring along at home, the other top 10 hitter seasons after Schmidt were Henry Aaron, Joe Morgan with a couple, Larry Walker, Jeff Bagwell, Jose Canseco, Jackie Robinson, Alex Rodriguez, and Howard Johnson, which is pretty good for a guy with an orange roof. I asked Rudy why Henderson didn't make the cut with his 130 stolen bases, and he raised a very telling point. Stats are assembled in a larger context, and the value of any stat depends on the seasonal context in which it was acquired. In that 1982 season, for example, Major League base runners stole 3,182 bases, almost as many steals as there were home runs that year. Six players stole 50 or more, and another 13 had 30 or more. By contrast, last season, players had just 2,500 stolen bases, compared with 6,100 home runs, and only six players swiped 30 or more. Now, it's true Henderson did back up his bags with 119 runs scored, but he contributed just 10 homers, 51 RBIs, and a pretty paltry 267 batting average. Little wonder that he was easily outvalued even in that season by Robin Yount, who had a more pedestrian 14 steals, but also logged 29 homers, 114 RBIs, 129 runs, and a 331 average worth about $41 in all that year. Another way to think about season context is to ask what percentage of the available stats a player accounted for in a season. Returning to Henderson's 1982, those 130 bags represented a little more than 4% of all the game's 3,176 steals. By contrast, Maury Wills had 104 steals in 1962, but those accounted for almost 8% of that year's steals across the game. Interestingly, when I totaled the season percentages of counting stats for all the hitters, Wills was the highest. He had 9.2% of all the available counting stats in that year because in addition to his 104 bags, he scored 130 runs and he offered Henderson-like home run and RBI totals. By the total percentage method, though, one player jumped out above all the others. Willie Mays had 12 seasons in the top 200, including five of the top 10 and four more in the top 50. What a great player. Henry Aaron was also magnificent by this measure, with seven campaigns in the top 50. I also looked at the stat percentages one at a time. The top four home run percentage seasons had two each by late 40s sluggers Johnny Mize and Ralph Kiner, who were whacking taters into the 50s in seasons when all of baseball was totaling the 1500s. The RBI leaders by percentage started with the splendid splinter, Ted Williams, who had 159 RBIs in 1949, 1.5% of all the major league RBIs that season. Also in the top three, Vern Stevens, also in 1949, and Joe DiMaggio in 1948. Apparently not a lot of runs being scored in the late 40s. Stolen bases were led, of course, by Wills's totals in 1962, but Mays had three of the next four spots. And Maury Wills, Willie Mays, Jackie Robinson, and Ricky Henderson are the only hitters to have more than 4% of game-wide steals in one season. Finally, runs were dominated by Ted Williams, whose 150 times across the dish were 1.3% of all the runs scored in 1949. Williams also made the top of the list in 1947. 
Interestingly, except for Stan Musial's 1949 season, the third through 11th place run percentage seasons were all the three great center fielders celebrated in that famous song, Mickey, Willie, and the Duke. Some other interesting notes from the overall top 200. 17 hitters appeared three times or more on the list. Mays with 12, Aaron with 10, Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez with seven each, Bobby Bonds, Ricky Henderson, and Joe Morgan with five each. And if you need to see the rest of the list, go check it out at BaseballHQ.com. As a proud Cincinnati Reds fan, I have to note that Morgan, George Foster, and Johnny Bench were all on the list and all members of the big red machine of the early to mid-70s. Foster makes the list because he was one of the few guys during his era bashing 50 home runs per season. The most recent year in the top 10, and remember the list ends in 2013, came in 2007. Alex Rodriguez had a 54-homer season with 156 RBIs, 24 bags, 143 runs, and a 314 batting average worth over $46. One other relatively recent super season was in 2011. You might remember Matt Kemp had a 39-homer season with 40 bags, 126 RBIs, 115 runs scored, and a 324 batting average. That was a $43 year. And if you were wondering about Jose Canseco's 40-40 in 1988, it's in the top 10 as well, coming in 7th at $48. Again, if you want to check out the quiz list for yourself, the link is in the online version of this Master Notes at BaseballHQ.com. And finally, I asked Rudy if he'd ever done the same thing with pitchers, and he said he hadn't. But he added that he suspects it would be hard to top Pedro Martinez's 1999 season in Boston. 23 wins, a 207 ERA, 092 whip, and 313 strikeouts. Boy, could you use that this year? Pedro might also have had the next best season in his next season. 18 wins, a 174 ERA, 074 whip, 284 strikeouts. About the only competition I could think of in a dollar value sense might be Mike Marshall's 1973 season, when he had 15 wins, a 2.40 ERA and 119 whip, and 143 strikeouts, but also 21 saves, and of course all of that came in relief. The decimals are no match for Pedro Martinez, but those saves would really help the old dollar value. Now listen, if you remember any seasons by pitchers or hitters that you think were super high value, mention them in the comments field below Master Notes at BaseballHQ.com or in the subscriber forums or tweet your idea to me. I'm at Patrick Davitt. Enjoy opening day, enjoy the rest of your fantasy seasons, and may you have someone this year give you a top 200 performance. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get a longer version of Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Thursday in the weekly free e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and you can sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we also have an audio version of Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for opening day 2018, Thursday, March the 29th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to this Thursday news and commentary edition, show number nine of the 2018 fantasy baseball season. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute was presented by Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. 
Our frequent flyer commentator was analyst Alex Becky, and our pitcher matchups analyst was Baseball HQ's Greg Fishwick. Thanks as well, as always, to Todd Zola, our regular weekly guest on Talk with Todd. It's always interesting to talk with one of the brightest guys in the fantasy baseball industry. I'm Patrick Davitt, your Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, not just this week, but every week during the 2018 fantasy season. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed, at BaseballHQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with a Tuesday Tout edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk to you Tuesday. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.